Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of Las Blancas podcast. I am your host, Om Arvin, and I am joined by Grant Little. Unfortunately, today we are covering a loss. Real Madrid Feminino 1, Levante UD Feminino 2, and this was a massive game, Grant. This was second place versus third place. Had we won, we would have overtaken Levante to become the best team in Spain, bar Barcelona, at least for the moment. And now that Levante have picked up this victory, they're now four points ahead of us. So they have more than a game advantage on us, right? So we just don't, they just, they can, they can afford to slip up more than once. Obviously that won't be their aim, but they've created some distance between them and ourselves. And we beat them earlier in the season and not to take anything for granted, but that probably gave us some confidence coming into this one that we could get the job done. We can move into second place and we lost, and it was a soul-crushing defeat, right? Because of the 93rd minute, substitute Alba Redondo scores a really good finish past Misa at the far post, and that's it. There was no chance for us to come back. I think it was just a generally frustrating game to watch for Madridistas. The mood on Twitter was very tense, right? Like, a lot of criticisms flying from people I normally kind of see rain their emotions in. It was a high-stakes game, Everyone realized it. And, you know, aside from that fact, when we were one nil up, like people, people were a little irritated. And then the way it ended, like it it was kind of a sour ending. So Grant, we've had a couple hours to kind of step away from the result, calm ourselves down, rewatch some footage. How are you feeling right now? That result stings, but I think if we, we go back through our podcast you said to me, we need to come out with a result in at least one of these games. We came out with a, get, a win against Atletico. We didn't win this game, but we're still in a position where we can challenge for the top two or three places. We're sitting in third place. If we take a look at the table, you've got Barcelona, who who cares? They're going to win the league. It's not even close. Levante on 23 games, 51 points. Real Madrid, 23 games, 47 points. In the two Champions League qualification spots, obviously second place is better because you come in around later and it's less qualification games, but that's getting way ahead of ourselves. In fourth place, you've got Madrid CFF, 22 games, 45 points. Atletico Madrid, 23 games played, 41 points. Real Sociedad, 22 games played, 41 points. And Granadilla, 22 games played, 41 points. So the table, you know, we thought we were going to get a little space in between the top three and the rest of the the teams, but the results have not made it so. It's still a tight race, but we're going to talk about a lot of negative things, nitpick things out of this loss, obviously, but there are some good things to look at. If we look at big matches that the rest of these teams have, first off, we have Real Madrid who has one of the easier schedules because we've got Levante out of the way. We got Barcelona out of the way and Atletico Madrid out of the way. We still have to play Madrid CFF, Real Sociedad and Granadilla on the last day. Levante has to play Barcelona, which you could chalk three points off right there. We're within one again. I mean, unless Levante has a miracle on the day, they have Granadilla again, Madrid CFF, And then Atleti on the last day. Madrid CFF has Granadilla, Real Madrid, Atleti, Levante, and Barca. So that is, that's really tough. Atleti has Barcelona, Madrid CFF, 
Real Sociedad, Levante on the last day, and La Real has Atleti, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. So Real Madrid and Real Sociedad probably have the two easiest. I mean, obviously they're not easy because there's a lot of games. There's a lot of games in between these big games where you can slip up, but the on paper easiest schedules, Levante probably has one of the toughest. Madrid CFF definitely has the toughest. So looking forward, there is hope that we could even get back into second place. We just need to hop up from this performance, learn from it, and bring our A game for the rest of the season. You said Atletico and Levante will play on the last match day, right? Yeah, that's going to be a big one. I feel like that's that's going to be huge, man. Like that that just feels like to me at this point, that's going to be a decider for the Champions League spots, whether it's like one is already out and they're just playing for pride and trying to pull the other out. Like, oh man, the last week of Primera Brasil is going to be insane. Yeah. But and- again, like, like you said, getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And Madrid CFF has Barcelona on the last day. So their last day doesn't even count, but yeah, then they- they're the previous two before that are Levante and Atleti and Real Madrid and then Granadilla. So Madrid CFF has got it tough. Though it would it would be mentioning Madrid CFF, right? Because they are in fourth right now, but they have a game in hand on us. And it, let's say they win that, they would move one point ahead of us in terms of being equal on games with us. And wouldn't it be kind of funny if the best team in Madrid ends up being Madrid CFF after Atletico Madrid won the league two years ago? We're second last year and Real Madrid had all this investment. Like it would, it would be a little funny, right? Like it, I'm it sure that be would nice. be funny to a lot of people. I would have to curl into a ball. <laughs> Madrid CFF have been really good. And, and I mean, again, this was a team that was kind of originally aiming. They were, they were like jostling with Tacon to become the future Real Madrid, right? Eventually we ended up with Tacon. I don't, I don't know if there's really any bad blood there per se, but we are city rivals and Madrid CFF arrived on the scene as like the symbolic team for Real Madrid before you know Real Madrid became interested in, in joining the women's division. So it it, it would be funny in a, an, an ironic way and in my like you know my desire to, to I guess find humor and everything to 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 make things more entertaining for myself. So I think that's enough though about the the table about future positions for the Champions League spots. Let's get down to what we're here for, and that's the game. So starting lineup-wise, both sides not really able to pick their Gala 11 for a number of reasons, mostly injuries. So Aslani was back in the squad, but if she didn't start, I'm guessing that's because she was not really fit enough to do so. Probably physios, doctors advised her not to, to start and play the full 90. And then Babit Peter was just not included at all, if I'm correct. Um, and she's been suffering with with some kind of strain that if it's keeping her out for, you know, these past couple games, like it's fairly serious, right? Like we want her to play this game, obviously, but she couldn't. So we other than those, it's, it's a fairly start, normal starting lineup, though. So you have Misa on goal, Kenti Robles, Claudio Florentino, Ivana Andres, Marta Corredera is our back four, Maite Rose, Aureli Casi, Teresa Abellera is our midfield. Marta Cardona, Jessica Martinez, and Sophie Jakobsen are the three up front. So it's still a, it's still a very strong 11. You could maybe argue that Levante had kind of more injury troubles to, to deal with. So this is kind of old news now, but Eva Navarro, one of their very best attackers and one of the very best in the league, so has suffered an ACL injury. So she's out for the long term. 
And then, like, they've had some issues with injuries in midfield. So, Rocia Galvez was injured and unable to play for this one. And Levante have often played in a, in a back three, in a, in a sort of 3-5-2 style formation this season. They just didn't have, like, the midfield components to be able to do that today. Uh, maybe Maria Pri would have deployed this formation anyway, but... She, she, she really didn't have options to, to go another way. So she goes with a kind of like 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1 formation with Maria Lopez in goal, Juicy Nara at left back, Maria Alharia at right back, and then center backs Aldana Cometi and Maria Mendez. And then on the wings, you have Estefania Banini and Lucia Garcia. And in central midfield, kind of as a double pivot, Claudia Zornoza and Sandy Toletti. And then up top, obviously, Esther Gonzalez with Natasa Andanova. So that was their starting 11 coming in. And I think this whole thing about Levante not being able to play with the back three, maybe lacking midfielders, I think that actually ended up being really important in the game. But before we get into Grant, do you have, before the game started, did you have any particular thoughts about either starting lineup or was it fairly straightforward and you were just waiting to see how it all played out? I think the Real Madrid lineup was pretty straightforward, exactly what I expected. I was a little surprised that Alba Redondo didn't start, but obviously, you know, Maria Pri looked like a genius when she pulled her off the bench at the end of the match. Yeah, I agree. Alba Redondo is maybe a player I expected to start, but... She ended up going with Lucia Garcia, who Redondo came on for. And Lucia had a pretty good start, right? Early on, getting played in behind, going one versus one with Corredera. And there's a whole thing we could we discussion to have about Corredera's performance and how, you know, went up and down. At a certain moment, she looked weak. At a certain moment, she looked she was playing really well. And then she contributed to the goals conceded. But early on, it did look like Corredera was having a little bit of trouble with her. She was being played in behind. What did you think about that and just kind of how like the start of the game went? Early in the game, it looked to me like Maria Pri had set out to have Lucia go at Corradera. Almost everything at the start of the game was going at Corradera. But I think she adjusted quickly and the team adjusted quickly. Levante started out with most of the ball. We kind of sat back in a mid block, looked to win the ball back with some high pressure. And then would either counter or or possess circulate possession and try and match their possession style. I think Levante had the better of it in the first 20 minutes, but then a huge pendulum swing came in around the 20th minute and that's where Real Madrid really started to click. You have like that that early kind of Lucia chance we were vaguely referring to where her and Toletti play 1-2 gets in behind Corradera gets the cross off to Andanova and Andanova feeds Toletti who's making a late run into the box. And it's a shot from a difficult angle that Misa saves. And that's really the first attempt of the game. And so it's Levante starting off on the front foot, as you said, Grant, looking like the, the, the idea is to target Corradera and Levante early on, we're playing like quite direct, like they are a possession based side. They do fancy themselves as a side that's good at building out from the back, but they're also a side that, that really, will like play vertical forward passes very aggressively. It was a little surprising that a lot of them were long balls initially, but I think that was maybe just opportunistic, but they, they were targeting the right later on. They targeted the left and they just wanted to get the ball really quickly up into the forwards, specifically Esther, who who's the best player on the pitch for them. And 
we we can discuss this, but maybe she's the best forward in Primera Bedrola outside Asisat Oshwala. So like, yeah, I mean, that just kind of seemed to be their strategy. And it, it was just a weird first 20 minutes. And it something similar happened in the second half, but 20 where Real Madrid just couldn't get the game under control. And I wouldn't necessarily say Levante had it under control either because it was it was frantic, it was end-to-end, but Levante did end up having more possession. And I think some of it is just down to the fact that like, it's circumstantial, right? Like the opportunity for Real Madrid to really set themselves up against a high press, uh, set themselves up in a high press against a goal kick, didn't materialize for a while. And Levante were winning the 50-50 duels, right? You know, play would go out for a throw-in on Levante's side and they just managed to keep a hold of the ball in that kind of way. But there was also some weird sloppiness going on, right? Like the a lot of frustration on Twitter, people asking, like, have we forgotten how to pass and stuff? Like, you know, Teresa, you know, mishitting passes and stuff. It just seemed like it was taking a while for us to really kind of like enter kind of our possession flow. And I don't know if you can disassociate that from the the high tempo nature that was being instituted, the directness from Levante. Like, I think that all kind of feeds into each other. Grant, I mean, it's it's really difficult to explain, right? I'm I, I'm having trouble myself. But did you feel there were any kind of reasons as to why it kind of took so long for Real Madrid to to kind of take the game under control? This is just a complete guess, but for me, both teams looked cagey at the start, and I think it was because of the occasion. Both teams understood that if you're Levante, you can go four points up and really you know, put yourself in the driver's seat in second place. If you're Real Madrid, you can jump Levante into second place. And these are two teams that, especially Real Madrid, that haven't been together all that long. And you're not glued together in these big moments like, you know, Barcelona, who have been the same kind of core group over and over and over again in these situations where you know how to cover for people, how to back somebody up in these moments when the going gets tough. And I think it just took a, a little bit for Real Madrid to be like, okay, we're we're as good as Levante in this game. We can play our game against Levante. Now let's go do it. I think some credit also needs to be given to Levante as pressure, at least in the beginning. And I think we ended up handling it quite well. And I think this was the key to us regaining control of the game 20 minutes onwards. But they were pressing sort of how we do, right, with the 4-4-2 Esther and Andanova pressing up, but we have the pivot in Maite, so we have the overload deep. And they decided to deal with it where one striker would drop off onto Maite, and then that triggers the other one to go press the other center back. And then when you switch play, the one on Maite goes to the far side center back, the other striker goes to Maite. And they were playing this game where they're constantly trying to, to make up for the numerical advantage that Real had. And I think they did it quite well early on. And that's just, I think, something to note as like another factor into what made things difficult because both teams were pressing high. Both teams were pressing high. You know, one side was being really direct with their passing. The other side, Real Madrid, like not quite getting their flow going. When you have all those factors coalesce, it can make for a game where it's high tempo, it's fast. And there's just kind of a sense that like anything could happen in transition. This I'm just mentioning, you know, seemingly out of the blue but because it occurred within the first 20 minutes if you're listening just keep in mind the events i'm noting now because they become important later so in 
like early in the the kind of eighth minute of play, you have Maria Mendez at the back, plays a pass straight into Kasi, and she's trying to attempt to disguise vertical pass. This is when they're near the halfway line, right? Kasi is really the only one pressing up against them, and Maria Mendez just plays it into her, right, and loses the ball, and it puts Levante under pressure. And then in the 19th minute, Maria Mendez just plays a poor pass into the half space and it's intercepted. I won't elaborate on it now. Just keep those in mind. Let's get into the the next kind of 20 minutes now, right? Because we described the earlier bit. It was cagey. No one could really control the Levante had more possession and not a lot of chances, frankly, were created. What turned the tide for you? Because, yeah, I mean, there was this Kasi long shot in the 20th minute, but I don't know, like, did that give the team more confidence? Was there something tactical going on? Like, why did it suddenly become Real Madrid had all the possession and Levante were pinned back? Just before we get to that, I do want to make mention of in the 14th minute, we did have kind of a half chance where Kenty wins the ball in the final third off of a throw-in, crosses it, and Sophia Jakobsen is going to receive the ball. She's kind of falling backwards and side foots it. Doesn't really get a shot on target, but it was a moment where the press worked. Kenty wins the ball. We get the ball in the box to one of our most dangerous players. So to your question, I think at this stage of the game, we realize that the best way to deal with this game, the best way to put our stamp on this game is to play through the defense with our strengths that being our two ball carrying center backs I know you tweeted about Claudia Florentino's ability to break lines and break the press with her dribbling and obviously Ivana Andres could do that as well which opens up space for Maite Arose to get on the ball to start moving around and link up with Kasi and Teresa and that's where the big shift was for me I think that's on the right track I think the ability for us to kind of find our press resistance and make use of the free player that we had at the back, right? Because, yeah, the work rate of the front two can be really good, right? But if our passing is decisive, if our spacing makes sense and we're consistently able to find that far side center back, then that enables someone like Claudio Florentino, as you were saying, Grant, to then step forward, attack the space, attract pressure, play lines uh, play balls in between the lines and you know get someone like Cardona to receive we turn and then we attack the defense so that was part of it I think we just we just started to settle down a little bit in possession there was a lot of kind of lateral switches of play right not trying to force things down the wing where which is where Levante wanted us to go anyway right if you're defending in a 4-4-2 you're pressing you have that numerical disadvantage you would rather use the touchline as a defender force the opposition to play the ball, they're trapped them. So it's difficult for them to switch. We're doing a lot of good side to side switching. And there was just that comfort on the ball again, to be able to use that free player. Maite Rose became influential, but there were some, there were, there were some imperfections with that, which I'll get to because first there's the other part of it, right? Which is that our press really came into being a particularly influential factor, right? So it was always there. I just don't know if, through the flow of the game, we had as many opportunities to press them on goal kicks. Um, you'd notice earlier in the game that Levante were already going long on some of them because they they didn't want to have to deal with that. But it's just like at this point, right, as we began to control possession, as we'd be able to like move off the pitch, you know, slower 
any we either win corners or it goes out for a goal kick that gives us time to kind of set up in our own 442 high press right so we're playing a 433 but as usual Teresa will be the one kind of stepping up onto the center back and then we press as a 442 from there sometimes it was Kasi because in the fluidity of it all Kasi was just in a better position to step out but usually right like it's been Teresa who's been the trigger for the press and so it was just kind of a 442 across the pitch right there playing in a double pivot you'd have maybe Claudia Zornoza drop off right a little bit but we could just commit a central midfielder to her and the the only kind of wrinkle in that kind of possession structure was maybe Esther Andonova dropping and they, they didn't do it too frequently like they do it right a quick decisive movement but it took quite a risky ball to be able to find them in either half space so really it was just that double pivot and player to player, you know, against that back six, right? So very simple assignments, not much, not much adjusting that we have to do. And that's when we press the best. And Levante just weren't quite able to handle it. They kept giving the ball away, right? They would punt it long. And, and that just aided our control, right? The ability to win the ball back quickly, then restart possession play. I think that's, you know, those two factors kind of came together. And that's what allowed us to, to really have control for the rest of the game. Now, we didn't actually create that much with that control. Obviously, we did score, and we'll discuss that goal, but there was that goal, and there was one Cardona chance at the end of the half. If I, I mean, if I'm missing one, you can tell me, but why was it to you that despite the fact that we had gained a kind of upper hand after the 20th minute or so, we just weren't able to really put that many shots on goal? Yeah, can I just mention something about the press really Yeah, quick? go ahead. I wanted to highlight Claudia Florentino in the first half because I think she did a really good job of tracking their strikers when they look to drop deep. And you mentioned that vertical ball that's already difficult and they were having trouble finding it. Claudia Florentino was putting pressure on that ball receiver almost immediately every time. And I think they really struggled to adjust to that in the first half. Now they adjusted to it more in the second half and kind of caught her out of position, but that was something that was really helpful. Once they initially broke the line and maybe got past the midfield that Claudia Florentino was there to bust up anything. If they tried to go through the middle and turn quickly. Yeah. And just real quick, like as an aside, it's interesting how when Claudia plays, she plays on the right and Ivana plays on the left. But when Peter plays, it's Ivana on the right and it's Peter on the left. Like, not quite sure why that's the case. I guess Claudia is a right-sided center back. Uh, I just wanted to include that in somewhere. And since you brought her up, there's that kind of wrinkle. As, as to your question, I think there's a couple things. Obviously, this is a team that we've mentioned time and time again, struggle to create a lot of clear-cut chances. This is because we take a lot of time in possession. It's really measured. We have to circulate a lot and we try and create these semi-transition opportunities once we get the ball and go to Sofia or to Cardona. And that's where we normally get a lot of our attacking threat. But this becomes even harder when Levante starts to sit back and you start to see Teresa and Maite moving around, switching the play, trying to rotate Levante back or shift Levante back and forth to try and find those openings. And I think we really weren't able to get a central presence involved. We knew that we were going to the wings. And like you said, 
the four four two is really good at being able to kind of limit the impact that those wingers can have because they have the touch line. They can put extra defenders over there. And then when it's time to swing across into the box, we have Jessica Martinez there who isn't super tall, but she is a good aerial threat, but we weren't doing that too often. And Jessica was struggling to get involved. I think she dropped deep to, to link up a bit, but was, we really were unable to go through a central channel unless we found Teresa above the box but then again she mostly sprayed it out wide and we couldn't really get the ball in front of the goal yeah Jessica had a tough time with her her link up play and hold up play speaking of that aggressiveness from Claudia Levante center backs are really aggressive following Jessica and she's 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 a warrior she'll battle she'll be physical but her touch maybe isn't as refined as Aslani's and it's interesting because she ends up being her kind of a, a crucial kind of link play touch she makes was was a part of the goal we scored but like by and large miss kind of misplaced touches heavy touches there was some frustration between her and Cardona trying to link up at times and you know I think maybe the most positive parts of our game came when like it, it was still a high risk or or it was lower chances of coming off but we had some right-sided combinations between Cardona and Kenti with Kenti going down on the overlap and nothing coming of the cross, but those kind of seem to be our best kind of sequences of play. Otherwise, like, as you said, Grant, it just, there wasn't that much going for us. It almost felt like a war of attrition in terms of our ability to gain territory, which just moving it from side to side, inch by inch moving up the field, and then stuff generally breaking down on the wings because Levante understand that's where the greatest threat is when playing Real Madrid. And we're going to lack that kind of central presence always if we're not playing Aslani. But even when she's there, right, she can be a little disconnected. I think something that wouldn't have necessarily addressed that, because I don't know if there there was a way to um, in this formation uh, with these players that we had on the pitch. It's, But I think to even make our, our kind of wing combinations more effective is, is I just thought that the central midfield positioning was a little inefficient. And I get that Maite, Teresa, Kasi were floating all over the place because they were just trying to find solutions, right? And they were just trying to, like, I guess, kind of wait for a hole to appear before we played that pass. But oftentimes, there were, you, we played over to the left. there would get on the ball, and there would be no one in the left half space to link with her. And so the only option is play down the line to Sofia, who's tightly marked or rotate it back and we go to the other side. And I think that's why maybe the right wing saw a little bit better of the combinations because Cardona would actually come inside and fill that half space. And I, I just thought because Teresa, Maite, Kasi were moving all of the place to retain the ball, which is not inherently a bad thing. I understand why they were doing it, but I felt like they were playing outside of, of, of a structure or, or there was a little bit of a lack of a structure there that would have been like, okay, you know, Teresa needs to come over and fill that space when the ball's on the left, but she's kind of shifted over to the middle. Kasi has dropped, you know, next to Maite, and it's a double pivot. It was just constantly shifting and changing, and there wasn't kind of like a consistent shape for us to kind of play off of, which I guess credit to Levante for forcing that. But it's rounded also, I don't know if we're known for being like that efficient in terms of in terms of ball progression. So that was kind of an issue to me and it just felt that overall we were waiting for a hole to appear rather than trying to create the hole right so like just passing it about side to side 
hoping that Levante, you know, just kind of loses someone and then we play the pass. I think work needs to be done. Like this is what the better position sides do is they seek to manipulate structures to create holes. And I don't know if I want to criticize the side to side passing too much because I, that gave us an element of control that like really neutered Levante's threat. It just limited them to counterattacks and the, the loss of that kind of like possession circuit, I think really affected us in the second half, but in terms of like capitalizing on that, right. You know, and, and using that shifting the ball to shift the opposition and then create holes. I don't know if we did that well enough. And I think part of that was the lack of central midfield support, just virtue of positioning. Yeah. You talk about the positioning offensively and, and it hindered us as well defensively because almost every time when we were in control of the match that Levante had an opportunity to attack, it was off a giveaway from a midfielder or from a wingback. And all of a sudden there isn't any midfielders that are able to put in a challenge and it's Levante running at the back line. If you have more of a structure in offense, that's more preventable when you turn the ball over. So despite all of this, Real Madrid Feminino, of course, opened the scoring. And this is why I kind of highlighted the press. This is why I was kind of highlighting the turnovers earlier. I guess this is a good place to preface the goal with my view of kind of Levante, the pros and cons to their possession style. Because on the one hand, they can be really dangerous with how vertical they are. They can just move back to front within an instant against a set defensive structure because of their willingness to consistently play and find dropping players in the half space. And then there's an up back through movement. They've released the wide player down the flank and they're away. I mean, they've been part of some of the most exciting games of the season. Levante versus Real Sociedad, their recent matchup stands out. And they're a team that, okay, you know, with the the cons to that being that, okay, if you're constantly playing these high risk passes out from the back, you're going to turn the ball over and you're going to put your defense under pressure. And it's, it, I don't know if they necessarily accepted that because I think some of them are just down to poor decisions, but to a certain extent, they are a side that thrives in, okay, we make the pass into the dangerous area. It's not a clean reception. There's a 50, 50 duel. And if we win it, we could go the other way. And they're a team that very much just kind of lives and dies by that risk reward scenario. And I think there's a, a better way to manage it. Right. And I don't know if it's necessarily tactical as much as I think the players at the back just are not making the right decisions within their possession framework. That's a different discussion, but it becomes relevant here because in like the 33rd minute Real Madrid press, the ball goes back to the goalkeeper and Jessica leaves her center back. Mark comes over, you know, her, her run is blocking off the pass to the center back. Right. So it's a good run. She's making pressuring the goalkeeper, not giving her enough time. And if you don't have the time, right, you just punt that. But because it's like in their system, the ball is played into the right half space, like as kind of a deliberate pass, I think aim for Lucia, but it's just like way off and Kasi intercepts it. And it's not an immediate counterattack. So it's not that kind of usual scenario where, you know, Levante give the ball up and, and that's it. Like they're immediately going to be attacked on goal. Like they reorganize well, there's a series of circulations. Um, and then, Core there ends up playing a vertical pass into Jessica that is nearly intercepted, right? So a bit of luck here. Jessica makes a good link play touch. So this is the one I was talking about that was more of an anomaly. Um, and she plays it out to Teresa with that touch, 
who plays it to Kenty, and then it's a one-two between Cardona and Kenty, and Kenty finds Kasi making a late run into the box, and it's a really emphatic finish, no chance for the goalkeeper, and it's 1-0. So there's a bit more there to that, right? Like we could talk about Levante's defense failing in that moment, but ultimately it's coming from the press. It's coming from this high risk style of play and an inability to, I guess, manage that risk appropriately that ends up leading to an attack like a minute later. Um, but as part of the same sequence, Grant, are, I guess there's still a lot more to discuss about that goal. Well, what are the things you want to touch on there? Yeah, I think obviously this is what you point to when we're drawing up what we want to do in possession. We want to turn these we want to turn them over from the press. We want to get the ball, rotate, circulate, because the ball started on the left when we won it. We circulate it back to the to the back four centrally through the middle. Then it goes out to the right from Teresa to um, Kenty, I believe. Kenty links up with Cardona, who has this immaculate touch, which I'm sure we'll get, get to. And then the goal comes. This is when we talk about that variance in attack, that ability to switch the play, to go from side to side, this is what we're talking about, and this is what it can lead to. Now, obviously, you can't do this over and over again because it becomes predictable like everything else if you do the same thing over and over. But this is one of those moments we can point to and be like, this is what we're trying to do. This worked. And it was a whole lot of good individual moments that compiled into a great goal. Yeah, it's it's interesting because up until this moment, I just felt like the only way a goal is coming is from something in transition because that's just how it was shaping up to be. I thought both defensive structures were too solid to give up anything, and I guess we were just too decisive. And this is kind of why I was saying like the right-wing combos were like the nice thing for us because on this play, Cardona just does a really good job of like understanding space, coming inside, and providing kind of a triangle like for for Kenty to link up with and I looked at that kind of spinning back heel pass back to Kenty that she makes and I'm it's it's a beautiful touch but I'm not convinced it was 100% intentional like I think she wanted to like receive you know like in that spinning back heel way but I think she meant it as a touch for herself and the reason I say that is because as it starts to get away from her she tries to chase it initially before Kent, before she realizes Kenty's going to get the ball. And the fact that she chases it makes me think that, okay, she meant that as a touch for herself because otherwise you're just going to kind of stand there and let the ball move on to its intended target. So, like, I don't think it was quite intentional, but it was still a nice piece of skill. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up too. I saw that exact same kind of, like, stutter step hesitation like she was going to run after it. But ultimately, who cares? Because it came off. Uh, it worked out and and they it scored a goal. I mean, if she would have done that herself and gotten to it and provided the assist, we would have been it would have been an even better goal. But um it ends up working out. Yeah, and after this, Levante start to press more aggressively. So at this point, it, it almost kind of felt like that after 20 minutes in, they just kind of accepted that Real Madrid had control. Our high press was better in terms of they weren't able to really handle it as well as we were able to handle theirs. Esther and Andanova were getting a little tired of, of being passed around. So they were not triggering the press as much. They were sinking more back into a mid block. This goal triggers the press back into action, but we handle it well, right? We just go through the same motions that we went through that enabled us to gain control over the game. And it's an uneventful end to the half, 
besides that moment in the 44th minute where we win the ball back and we release Sofia down the left on a counterattack. She plays a cut back in and Cardona just sends it wide. And just like that, it could have been 2-0. And we go into the half feeling pretty good, I guess, right? Like not an inspirational performance by any means, right? We're, we're really just talking about two chances, but two chances that could have been 2-0, right? Like how, how did you feel going into that half? I felt good about how we reacted after the 20th minute, but I did feel worried because I know Levante is a good team coming into this game. I, I didn't think that we were ever going to keep a clean sheet. And I'm, I know that everyone can say it's easy to say this now, but I, I thought Esther was going to score because that's what she does. And she does it pretty much every game for club and country this year. So I knew that we were going to have to score multiple goals and we have this tendency to have dominant periods over games and only be able to come up with one goal. And I was worried about this. And when Cardona missed that chance, I was really like, Oh, that was one where we really could have been in the driver's seat. Is there anything else you want to touch on in the first half? I think we pretty much covered everything. I mean, there was a lot going on. Yeah. I think there was a lot going on in terms of thematic elements, but in terms of actual like match events, it was the goal, it was the chance, and, and you know maybe an early shot for Levante. So into the second half, obviously Levante scored fairly early in the 55th minute, but in those initial 10 minutes, did you notice anything particularly different about Rounders or, or Levante's approach, or was it just kind of the same as the first half, and then the goal changed things? For me, I could immediately tell that this was more like the first 20 minutes than the period after the 20th minute where we had more control. I think we still had the majority of the control, but it wasn't controlled. There was more 50-50 duels. There was more chaos. It was going our way, but that's not something you can anticipate on having throughout a game. Eventually, the 50-50s are going to start going other ways. And I kind of saw Levante get that press going a little more, force us to the wings a little more, because with with this chaos, with these 50-50 duels, we're able to not have the ball in the midfield as much we go to the wings we go more direct and I think that kind of was a precursor of what was to come in the rest of the second half yeah I think that defensive intensity from Levante came back and it was a similar situation as you were talking about the first 20 minutes where it was just more back and forth back and forth Reometers not necessarily being able to kind of set up their press against the goal kick. Levante having a tiny bit more possession. I think they did a good job of getting Bonini involved in nice wing combinations down the left. I thought she was very uninvolved in the first half, and I understand wanting to attack Cora there, but Bonini is probably your best non-Esther Gonzalez player, right? And she started to get involved on some nice wing combos. So Levante came out, I think, with a very similar game plan, maybe shifting the focus of attack, but applying it with more intensity, knowing that they need to get back into the game. And it's funny because, yeah, I mean, they're doing those nice things, but no real shot results from it. And it's it's beyond ironic that the pattern that I was highlighting in terms of their turnovers ends up leading to their goal. And I guess maybe this is why they live with it. And this is what I'm talking about. Levante just really kind of accepting that, okay, there's a risk reward to it, but if we win that 50-50 after that difficult pass, suddenly we facilitated a counterattack. So in the 55th minute, Maria Mendez, who's made two bad giveaways up until this point, and the second in a very similar way to this, she plays a super careless ball into the right half space. And that's just, 
It's just a thing that Levante just seem to do when they're out of ideas in possession, or that's just their focus, right? Just immediately get it into there. And it seems that she's playing it to Andanova, who's dropping, but the pace of the ball isn't good enough to reach her over that distance. And so Coradera steps inside and intercepts it. But Coradera's first touch is way too heavy. Like that touch goes like seven or eight yards before she's able to get to the ball. And she ends up losing it. And that's it, right? They counter down our left-hand side. And because Coradera is way out of position because she takes this touch inside because she was intercepting in the half space, Ivana has to stretch all the way over to the wing to go to Lucia, who's running with the ball down the right touchline. And she can't stop the cross coming in. And you have Esther one versus one with Claudia on the box. And that's that's a goal. And it's 1-1. It's super difficult to like, in a situation like that, a center back is, is at a disadvantage. I just think that Claudia maybe makes maybe the wrong instinctive decision to, tr- to try to kind of stand in the lane and intercept the cross because Esther pulls away at the end, but it's not a dramatic movement. It's just kind of a natural positional thing a striker would do. And Claudia is just not looking at her at all. And she just tries to stop the cross and she just can't get in the air high enough. And it's not an easy finish for Esther. I think she like takes it off her shin or something. It's a volley, but it's the, the shot location wise, it's like 0.9 XG or something. She was right in front of the face of goal. Shot height, I think, will take the XG down a little bit, but it was a brilliant location to shoot from. And I just wonder if Claudia needed to have like one eye on Esther and just instead of seeking to cut out like the, the kind of lane, which is harder to do with crosses, just try to stick with her. And then when the ball comes into that kind of area, then try to win it off of her. And if you can't, you put some pressure on her to, to try to miss the shot. So that was just kind of my feeling with that because after Cordera gives it up, there's not much more that can be done, right? We had transition defense and then it's up to Claudia to, to beat Esther one versus one, which is much easier said than done. And it, it is, it's worth noting that it's really, really hard to keep your eye on the cross on the other side and the defender behind you. And it, it was just something she couldn't handle in that moment. Are, are there anything you want to add to that? Am I being too harsh, like with Claudia? I mean, I, I'm not saying like, I mean, I, I don't think I'm saying like it's her fault. I just think I'm just nitpicking there, right? Like that's I, what happens in those moments. I don't think it's too harsh. Obviously the giveaway puts us in an extremely difficult per- position. I think it was Zornosa who makes a, a really good pass down the line. Garcia's cross was really good. I just wonder if knowing that it's Esther behind you, you're not out jumping Esther. She's she's got moves. She's got the finishes. I'm wondering if maybe you just put a body on her and hopefully push off when the cross gets closer. And that way, if she does drift off a little bit, at least you're touch tight so that you could maybe put her off or something else. I think she allows Esther to drift off her back shoulder a bit too easy. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, maybe this is like not a good idea whatsoever, but I'm almost thinking like, don't even watch the ball. Just like stick to Esther there because there's no one else. Like the support is arriving from the far side. So if you're like just facing Esther, you'll be able to see that threat to just stay with her and like just bargain on Esther, not making like a fake jump. And once she goes near, just get in the air with her. And honestly, I think that will have a better chance of putting her off than, than trying to read the, the, the path of the ball and not staying with her. Obviously, yeah, but- the, the ideal is to like keep eye on both the ball and the player, but 
you know, like, I, I mean, I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but I just almost feel like that that was kind of the bigger thing there, right? Like, it's like you were saying is just stick as tight to her as possible. Don't give her any space whatsoever. And then just hope that you can put her off. Like you said, though, it's a split second decision. Yeah. It's really tough. You've got one of the most informed strikers in Spain, for sure, in the world, probably as well. She's She's been on fire all year. So it's tough. And even if she does what we're saying, even if she does it perfectly, there's still a chance that Esther scores. Yeah. And I guess this is a good time, right? Like she's probably the best striker in Spain outside Oshuala. Like, am I missing someone? I guess Aslani would be in the conversation, but I think Aslani has had, you know, enough injuries, enough inconsistency that that has caused that I think Esther has had the better season so far, right? Like, absolutely. the leader of the Pachichi, I believe. I mean, she you saw what she did for Spain. Her and Jenny and Hermosa were trading five-goal games. <laughs> I mean, they were both scored five in the same game. They're having a goal-scoring competition. It seems like every time she steps on the pitch this season, she's at least scoring one goal. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just these types of goals, which are really important, not to like minimize them, by the way. These are the types of shot locations that enables you to be a volume goal scorer. This needs to be a bread and butter, but she has scored some absolute galathos. Like... I think versus Real Sociedad, if I'm remembering correctly, she scored an absolutely crazy goal. Like she's a threat from distance and she's, she's an all around player too. Like it, it wasn't as influential in this game because I, I just think our press was too good, but Esther was dropping deep. She had some sequences where she was, she was trying to put things together. She's a decent dribbler on the ball. She can spin away from players. She's a versatile center forward and a match winner. And she got them back into this game. And yeah, I mean, just, in the critique, just remember that Claudia is guarding in that sequence, maybe the best forward in Spain, though, you know, if you say Oshawala, I, I think that's that's probably valid. It's hard to compare when someone has the service that Barca does. But again, you know, Oshawala, is, she's almost like what Barca need as well. So it's between those two, I think. And then if Aslani was more fit or can, can maintain her fitness throughout the rest of the season, we'll, she, we'll see how she joins that conversation but basically today we maybe face the, the deadliest striker in Spain and as Grant predicted would happen she ended up scoring now okay this has happened 1-1 why is it that we just seem to lose complete control for the next 20 minutes basically like why is it even more than how the game started is it it's end-to-end right Levante are surging forward on counterattacks. Real Madrid are limited to counterattacks. Like what happens there? Like, is it even possible to explain or just does this stuff just happen in games? I think that you might have a theory of how to explain it tactically, but from what I saw, this was another momentum shift, but the shift just pointed it further in Levante's favor. They started bringing more. It was like proof in the pudding of what high intensity defense does for them and all of a sudden it turns into a completely transitional game where we're just going blow for blow we don't have the control and there are players like Esther who haven't had many touches the ball getting a lot more of the ball just being in transition and no one really has control it was chaotic like I said before and I felt like the tilt of 50 50 balls swung back in Levante's favor and they they were on the front foot. They looked the most dangerous, although we had some bright moments. It really felt like if the next team that was going to – if a team was going to score next, 
it was going to be Levante unless Marta Cardona pulled something crazy out. Yeah, this was probably Levante's best period of the game. I think some of it is just it'd be like that sometimes, but I think we got trapped into trying to play at that pace, which is always a risk, right? Like speaking about nitpicking Claudia's decision-making and stuff ultimately comes down to instinct. And that's just what's happening at all times within a game, right? There are moments where things might slow down for you, where you have the time to like set things up, but generally you're just relying back. You're, you're automatically going back to the game plan, to the way you play, the way you know how to play, and in when the game's getting chaotic and you see opportunities for counterattacks and you're just constantly trying to find them, it just lends itself to this back and forth style. And I think we just got trapped into playing at the pace that I don't know if Levante necessarily wanted because there was some danger going, you know, against them as well. But I think one that ultimately, again, they're, they're willing to accept that risk and reward, right? They'll concede a chance on the other end and then Esther will go the other to, to the other box and then score. Right. And, I just think we needed someone, whether that's us on the sideline, whether that's someone on the pitch to say, guys, let's just calm down a little bit. Let's go back to what we were doing in the first half, which had its own issues, but at least we had control, right? Let's go back to switching play. Let's go back to to moving side to side. Let's go back to, okay, we're going to take advantage of our, our player advantage at the back and then use that to set everything else up instead of, okay, we won the ball back. Let's go at hundred miles per hour. The other way we lose the ball we rush to win the ball back and, and repeat the process. And I just think we kind of lost sight of that. And it took us quite a while to come back. And, you know, so this is just kind of like housekeeping stuff. 68th minute, Alba Redondo comes on for Lucia Garcia. Obviously a very important player that we'll discuss later. But I think kind of a couple minutes after that, we slowly start to go back to that old possession circuit. I think some of it is... Levante could only maintain that intensity for so long. So they're they're tiring a little bit, shrinking more back into that mid block, but also like eventually the rounder players is going to figure it out. And like someone like Maite Rose is going to be like, all right, guys, let's, let's start getting back into those lateral movements. Let's establish a base for us to play from. And then we can go and try things and we, we can try to play with risk. And I think that's at least partly the reason why, like we were circulating the ball out to the, the right flank. We get a throwing opportunity and Maite crosses the ball. Like no one comes to her and she just crosses freely. And Jessica heads a shot off the post and Teresa Abeira puts the rebound into the goalkeeper's hands and then Levante clear it. And that was our chance, right. To, to go two nil and the Jessica header, like, it's honestly just been her this season being kind of unfortunate, right? Like how many times she comes so close with the header that was maybe a moment where, where we could have gotten back in front. And I think maybe it came from us like settling down a little bit, but then guess what? A minute later substitutions happened. My kid was off. So before we get to, to the subs and our thoughts on that, because I know we have them. Is, is there anything more you want to, you want to say about like why we weren't able to maintain control, whether it looked like we were starting to get back into that old groove. And that was the reason we had that chance. Just really anything you kind of want to mention in, in that interview intervening period. Yeah. For me, I think a lot of the time when we're in need of a goal, we resort back to those patterns that we saw at the beginning of the season, where it's just, we're going to play it to the wing. And we're going to hope to dribble through some players and we're we're just putting it on Sofia and Cardona. And you said we, we talked about it over and over again in this podcast about the 442 being able to 
kind of trap them with the sideline, also with good quality defender. Because a lot of the times when we get into these transitional games, we're the people who, or we're the team that take advantage of it because we have the individual quality. When we come up against teams who are tactically aware and have similar quality with us, we're not going to be able to just run and gun over and over again and count on us count on us scoring because we're leaving a lot at the back. They have quality attackers going that way. And I think you were right to say that we got trapped into playing the style of play that they might not necessarily have wanted, but it was, it was what was happening. It became a basketball game and that didn't favor us because we had a lot of control, even though we weren't creating a ton, we still created some from that kind of, measured possession game and we and we saw that with might cross and poor jessica man she's got a bit of the luka jovic syndrome at real madrid as of late just everything she shoots is hitting the post in good positions all the time and just unlucky the person who's played or created the the best chance of that half for real madrid comes off instantly might rose off for kosovar yaslani and Teresa comes off for Taisa, so we go 4-4-2 slash 4-2-3-1. Aslani, Jessica up top. What did you think about that? Yeah. I don't know why Osnar has all of a sudden gotten this idea that Maite can't finish matches. I don't know if that's the idea, but this player just created the best opportunity, one of the only opportunities of the entire second half, and you and you take her out also. It's a completely transitional game where we are not having the better of the play. And when we were having the better of the play, it was possession base. And not only does he take out Maite, he takes out Teresa, two of our best players at measured possession, being able to keep the ball press resistance. I was not a fan of the sub at all. At the time, I was hoping Aslani could come in and maybe snatch a goal. But if she's not fit enough to start, is she fit enough to make a difference? So I, I had a lot of issues with these subs. I'm not a big fan of going to the Kasi Taisa double pivot. I'm sure you felt similarly with Maite exiting. So please <laughs> tell me how you feel. Oh. Well, the funny thing is, is we were, I thought, I mean, not enough sample size, right? Maybe we would have gone back to the same basketball atmosphere that you were talking about, but I felt like we were getting the game under control at that point. Right. And, via that we were able to create chances and I just thought okay we do what we do right we just put balls in the box we cross and you know maybe Aslani can come on later because okay if she didn't fit enough to start maybe she's on like a minutes restriction or something and so she'll be good to play like a high intensity 20 minutes or something it's just like that at the time that we seemed to get our control back he took off the two players that helped us establish reestablish control and it's it's just funny to me because I, I don't know what his objective was necessarily. I mean, I understand Aslani coming on, right? Like, okay, you know, two up top, let's score. But you're doing that at the same time while putting in two players who honestly, I think, are more suited for that combative, fast style of play, right? So was the intention to accept that, okay, this is the dynamic that the game is going to be just as we were getting out of it? Or did he just genuine, or just was he just trying to rotate the players out, right? They're tired or whatever. Or was he trying to maintain defensive solidity while playing two up front? Like, I just don't know. It, it just almost feels like 
two conflicting substitutes for me. One that says, let's go more offensive. And at the same time, let's have less control while doing so. Like, I just don't quite understand that. But it, you know, I I don't know if I wouldn't say it didn't affect it because obviously our circulation and our progression will be less efficient with that double pivot. Like, I mean, at least just keep one of them on, right? If you want to take off my day, fine, take her But like, keep today's on. Okay, whatever. So the, the interesting thing is that we kind of continued to have an element of control because at that point, Levante must've been gassed or something, but they really just shrunk back and we had more box entries, right? We started to, to kind of threaten the box more, not no real kind of shots coming from that, but we did keep moving forward. We did keep pressuring the box. And it's just interesting to me that that happened with those substitutes with that double pivot. And it's either Osnar was cool with it, right? He's like, I want them to dictate this type of environment or the team just continued that trend of establishing more control and the, the substitutes weren't suited for that. What, whatever the reason we had most of the possession in, in the last kind of 10 minutes and we sort of threatened the box. We created, you know, half dangerous opportunities and yeah, it's just weird. It's, weird set of substitutes in terms of intention. I don't know what exactly he was trying to do. And then interestingly enough, that double pivot wasn't secure enough defensively to end up stopping that goal. Before we oh. get there, just want to mention that in the 80th minute, Irene Guerrero comes on for Andenova and she'll be important for that last goal as well. Although I was really unable to fathom what he was doing with those substitutions, Tysa came on and, actually made some decent passes. She was displaying kind of a cross-field switch, some line-breaking passing. You know, she's not as consistent at doing it or as good as do- at doing it as the other two that came off. But I thought when she came on, she was she was decent um, offensively and helping rotate possession when no one else seemed to really be trying to do that. I also thought Aslani had some decent link-up play she was she was involved. Her movement was good. I thought it was more successful, uh, like in terms of like a percentage of attempts than than it was than Jessica's. Though ultimately, like none of what Aslani did was particularly influential. She did have one really nice through ball to Sophia uh, that ultimately didn't end up resulting in a shot. But it was good to see Aslani come on, look look sharp to whatever kind of degree that that I could see her. Do we go to the goal now? Is it about time? Do we discuss the heartbreaker? Yeah, I guess we have to now. This is what I don't understand because, okay, even after the substitutes, we still decide that, okay, we're going to play this more measured possession style of play despite not having the optimal players to do it. As Grant mentioned, Tice is actually having a solid game on the ball. And then Levante launch a goal kick at about 91 minutes, 30 seconds. There's a, this fight for the second ball. Levante clear it up. And then Kenty has the time to control and reset play. And she just blasts it upfield. And, okay, there's more battling for the ball. We win the ball back. And then Coralera plays a really bad pass out to the right and kind of like a chaotic situation, right? She kind of feels like, okay, I just need to play the immediate forward pass so we can get forward on the counter. And it's really nowhere near uh, Marta Cardona. And so Juicy Nara intercepts and beats Kasi really easily, right? Like she one versus one just kind of dips inside her. 
you know, the, the Kasi Taisto pivot is supposed to give us the defensive steal. I think she beat Kasi way too easily there. And Lucenara plays it out to Irene Guerrero, who, as I mentioned, came on for Andanova. And so it's one substitute to another at this point. Irene plays a really good ball over the top. Like, it's actually a gorgeous ball for the way it floats in front of Claudia. But there's just enough power on it to where it doesn't overrun and go to Kenti in that situation. And so it allows Alba Redondo to thread the eye of the needle with her run. And it's a first time finish, just kind of sending the ball back where it came from. And that's it, 2-1. And we restart play 30 seconds later, final whistle, it's over. We lost the game. Yeah, I just think that a lot of the decision-making was poor and we let the moment get to us. Kenti could have done better in possession. Corradera had multiple options just to boot it forward or to play a little soft five-yard diagonal pass to Kasi, who would have been running into the midfield either to play a pass or to boot it upfield. But instead, she hits it to no one, and Kenty's out of position, and and we get we, we get uh, a goal at the death that just takes out all the points. Like, a draw was okay. A draw was good. You know, we all wanted to win, especially with the 1-0 lead. But ultimately, a draw keeps us within one. But the loss, the loss hurt for a variety of reasons, especially because I thought we really played pretty well in the first half. And if we just would have done that in the second half, Levante wouldn't have had much of the ball at all. Obviously, Levante were going to make changes because Maria Pri is a good coach. But I don't think that they were going to be able to take the ball off Maite and Teresa and Kasi the way that they were playing towards the end of the first half if we just continued what we were doing. But instead, we we kind of succumbed to what they wanted us to do. And this is a Granadilla game all over again, right? A couple substitutions come on and they end up winning 2-1. This feels like a microcosm of what went wrong for us almost. You mentioned the decision-making. It's... It's a moment where we have two chances to establish control over the sequence and we decide to get sucked up into the moment, get trapped into saying, okay, we just we just need to play it forward. We do it erratically. We give up the ball twice and the second time it's fatal. And it, on the other hand, it just kind of feels like a microcosm of some of Levante's play where they they just thrive off of these like second ball scenarios. And yeah, it could go against them, but... It goes their way and bang, it's a goal because they have the differential players up front like few other teams in the league. It almost feels like a missed chance, this one, doesn't it, right? Because Levante are a very good side. We had our own injuries, but again, right, they're they're missing Eva Navarro for, for the rest of the season. She's a brilliant player, like really, really up there as one of the brightest talents in Premier Brazil at the moment. They can't play their normal formation, which I think heavily affects them and their ability to consistently play out of the press because I really think they could have used another central midfielder, maybe someone else at the back, someone who could create some overloads down there for them where, you know, something that was beyond just the strikers dropping, which created these very difficult vertical passes for them to play, which ended up getting them in trouble, as we talked about. Like, this has to feel like a huge mischance, right? Like, that's part of why it hurts so much, right? 100%. I think if you look at the whole game in general, I think it's fair to say that Real Madrid played better. Obviously, that doesn't matter at all because 
Levante won. They took their chances, but we honestly created a bit more than we normally do because usually we create only the chances that we score and we were really in control for a lot of the game. And even when we weren't in the first half, we were defensively solid and we didn't allow them that much. And not only is it a loss to a direct rival, it would have been an opportunity to create a gap in between third and fourth that really put the battle just between us and Levante. But now we've allowed ourselves to slip up and, you know, we've got Madrid CFF nipping at our heels and everybody is back in the race again. I think it's fair to say that we played better, but I think it's kind of a case where, yeah, we played better, but it's by no means where we dominate. And, you know, if you were to simulate this game a hundred times, I think there's plenty of scenarios where being slightly better is not enough to win. So I, I can't yeah, say I'm, that. We, I'm not saying we deserve to win. Yeah, I just yeah, thought yeah. that we played better. Yeah, Clearly, no, no, that's a Levante deserved to win. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, that's a fair one. I'm just kind of like uh, elaborating on that point because I, I think it is the right thing to say that we, we play better. It's just that it's within, I think, normal variance for you to play slightly better and still end up losing a game. It's not necessarily enough to really expect that, okay, we create one more chance than them. We had more control in like 30 minute period or something like that. I mean, it's liable to go against you, right? Like certain events, you know, one shot off the post, like, is that enough? Right? Like, I don't know. So I don't know if, I say that to say that I don't know if the reaction is to like go back and be really mad and saying like, this is a disastrous, you know, we, we need a real inquest into what we're doing here. But I, I, I do think that because it was an amazing performance, we need to ask questions of why wasn't it? Was it because we just simply couldn't right? like that was just how good the opposition was or were there things that we could have done to put the fate of the result more in our hands? And I think there were some things, right? I think, better efficiency of our possession structure. I think our decision-making when the game got pacey and it got high tempo, I think there are things that we can do that will serve us going forward, you know, in the big moments, right? If we're going to play Granadilla on the last game of the season, right? We, we can't do the same things that we did today. And if our ultimate goal is to play in the Champions League, we're going to have these types of matches and we have to learn how to control not just ourselves, but control the, the play in these moments. And so this is, I think a huge learning opportunity for us. I think we're still in an experienced team in the big moments, as you said, way early in the podcast grant, and we got to use these types of games to kind of reflect and say, you know, not destroy ourselves, not just lay into to, to each other and say that, Oh, you were bad. I was bad, but to just be like, okay, Hey, we might've played a little better, but it's got to be more than that if we want to win games like this, right? Like if we, if we want to just play a little better, we can, we can sit in fifth and sixth place and be happy with that. Right. If we really want to take that step, we've got to show that we can be decisively better than these teams to, to be able to ultimately compete in the champions league. And that should be our goal. And I just think you use that to kind of look at it critically, analyze certain things and say, okay, here's where we just optimize things further. So I think that's just kind of where we kind of, uh, look ahead to I think that's our path forward let's get into some individual performances and let's start with Marta Corradera because at one point in the first half because you were live tweeting on the Las Blancas account you're quite pleased with her performance and you know a little bit of an argument you had with that Pegate and Feminino about that but there was a sense right that at one point she was playing quite well like what was it with this whole roller coaster performance like ultimately 
how do you feel about it? Because she ended up making two really crucial mistakes on both goals with her pat with her touch and then her pass. But I think she did have some decent moments. So how do you how do you kind of you know wrangle all that together and, and kind of put an put an assessment of her performance out there? Yeah, obviously because she had multiple mistakes that led to the two goals. The overall performance is gonna is gonna <laughs> it's it's not gonna be a bright rating per se, but after she was targeted for that first couple minutes, she seemed to recover. And I thought she looked really good. I tweeted out that she looked like a world-class left back, which by no means she is. It was just like a joke to get the people going because I was feeling good because Real Madrid really had a lot of the ball and we were winning. But there was that point, I tweeted it right after. She wins the ball back after cutting off a passing lane, coming from her own half up into the the opposition's half, winning the ball and playing this nice little ball behind the defense where Sofia gets in. And this is what leads to that chance that Cardona just missed. And that was a really good moment. And when Real Madrid was really playing well in that second half, I thought Car- or Corredero were, was really, really good. Obviously, in the second half, when the game became more transitional, she mm-hmm. suffered. So it was a it was a really mixed bag performance. I think ultimately the bad in this match outweighed the good because of the implication of the two goals. But there are bright spots, and I don't think that we can call Corradera, and I don't think anyone is saying this. I don't think we can call Corradera a bad player or this was a terrible performance because there are good moment, moments. She's playing out of position. She's getting better at left back, and she's contributing to the team on offense and defense. Yeah, I think the thing with her ultimately is that the first goal is like, that just happens. I want a better touch there, but she's making the right run to intercept. And it's literally just a better touch. And we maybe have a counterattack of our own and it goes against Levante. The second one, though, is just to me is it's like it's the work in progress of her being in this kind of inverted role. You know, obviously she's playing more inverted in that particular instance because it's back and forth. We just win possession. But that was kind of a test of her ability to kind of read the situation and be like, I'm almost acting as a central midfielder. Now, what is the right pass to play? And she makes the wrong decision. And if we look at her statistics, right, I, this is kind of old news now, but I wrote that statistics piece about rounder from, you know, Cora there makes a lot of passes into the final third or attempts a lot of them and makes a lot of them, but her completion percentage is closer to 50, 50 than it is anything else. And it's just that refinement, that consistency with the decision-making in her passes. Like, it's the it's quite, I think, been quite a frustrating experiment for Real Madrid Feminino fans to, to watch because, and, and it's tough on her, right? I'm not sure it's any less frustrating for her, but I just think this further illustrates that we can't wait for Olga Carmona to come back because she slots in seamlessly to kind of the ball progression aspect of what she needs to do there. And Cora there is just not quite there in terms of being comfortable with cutting inside and then having to make decisions like an auxiliary central midfielder, because that's just kind of the way you use her when she's playing as a left back. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it confirms anything new. I think it just confirms what we already know that this, this is kind of a difficult role for her. And it's been a weak point for the team. And yeah, and I, I would venture much- to guess it's it's extremely hard on her. I mean, yeah. she plays at right back for the Spanish national team in a World Cup. She's a great player who has high expectations. And, uh, you know, all these fans can say, ah, this is horrible for us. 
But imagine being such a great player at one position, being put in another position for the betterment of the team and getting a lot of, a lot of negativity or hate because of some things that you did wrong. Like you're doing things wrong and you hold yourself to a higher standard, but you're making sacrifices to be in a different position. I think it's really hard. Obviously they're mistakes, but we can't pretend that we're feeling this any harder than Corradera is because I'm sure she's gutted. Yeah, always good perspective to keep. We sometimes tend to fall into the trap that we're the only people that have feelings about the team. I'm sure the players who are going out there and taking the result take it harder than anyone else. Not that I've seen anyone do this. I don't think there's any need to kind of like at Marta Cordero on Twitter or something and be like, do better. I don't know if that necessary. I think she knows that she she needs to do better in this position and adapt better. Um, you know, even even if she can, like that that's probably her goal. Other player performances, should we talk about Sophia Jakobsen, who didn't really do much, right? Like, it, there was that one pass for Cardona, and I don't know if I have many more notes on her aside from one through ball that Aslani played to her in, like, the 85th minute or something. Yeah, it, it was the through ball and the almost assist to Cardona, but other than that, she was pretty silent. It's It's been kind of that season for Sophia, right? Like has a couple games or a game where we, we start to question and be like, how is she playing? And then she comes back one, two games. Like she had that good run through the middle of the season where we felt, okay, this is so Sophia's back, but she's, she's been a bit up and down. Right. In the sense that like one day she might not be that involved. And then the next day, like you see like, Oh, she's clearly one of the best wingers in the league. This is what she can do for us. Right. Like it's not like Cardona where I don't know if she had an amazing game today, but she was involved, right? Like she was trying to make things happen. She was a part of many right wing combinations. Like you could probably pick out seven to eight events where she was trying to initiate something and it didn't end up coming off. Like it just feels like if Cardona doesn't play well, it's maybe an execution thing. Whereas with Sophia, she can kind of disappear at times. Is there an explanation for that? Is there something just about this game? Maybe the fact that there wasn't great central midfield support on the left-hand side, that it was just harder to get those passes going and get Sophia in, into good situations? Like, is this just the season she's having? Those are both partially responsible, but I think we've been unable to optimize our best players all at the same time. And I don't think there's really an argument against this. If Aslani... Sophia and Cardona are on the pitch. We need them all to be at their best, and we have yet to find a way to get them at their best. Usually Cardona's at her best because she's able to play on either flank and really succeed, whether it's cutting in or going to the byline. But we have yet to get a combination or a formula to how we get all of our best players on the same page playing at their best because that's how you get to the Champions League. That's how you succeed in the Champions League. You need your best players to be in their p- best position, playing their best football. Yeah, and in terms of best position, Sophia's playing out on the left wing, which is not her best position. That's the right wing, but it's also Cardona's best position. So talking about optimizing our best players at the same time, I think that's part of the discussion as well. Other player performances, uh, we've already kind of discussed Jessica. I don't know if there's that much more to say about Aslani. Uh, do you- I'd like to talk about Kasi a little bit. Because in the first half, I thought she was the best player on the pitch on either side of the ball. She was almost everywhere winning every duel, whether it be on offense, whether it be on defense. And I was tweeting basically that she was covering the whole pitch 
And then all of a sudden she makes this run into the box and really has that emphatic finish that you were talking about. She struggled like the rest of the team did in the second half, but she was a real bright spot for me in, in this match. And it was good to see her get on the end of a goal. She was a bright spot until Jusinara came inside and dribbled past her and on the goal scored, but Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think and, but there are caveats, I think, for everyone's performance. Today. Right. I was just gonna bring up Kenty Robles, who I thought had a really, really good game for 90 minutes. And then in added time, she gets pulled out, and there's the goal, the same kind of moment as Kasi. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the story of the day, right? Like it's just no one played perfect, no one made only the right decisions. It was a lot of mixed performances and I don't know if that's good enough versus versus Levante, right? I, I, I want at least one player who just really steps up and, and has a partidazo, as the Spaniards would like to say. And I, I don't I don't think we got that today. The closest was maybe Kasi in the first half, as you were talking about, but it's just we were never able to really consistently get into our flow. And that's just something that happens sometimes, I think, when you play good teams. They're just they're just not gonna like sit back and allow you to do that, right? They're gonna try to fight back for control when they're used to having it. Having said that, are are there any other individual performances that you think are worth touching on, or have we basically kind of covered everything? We talked about Claudia. I don't know if there's that much to say about Ivana, but if you have notes on her, go ahead. No, I think those were the performances that stood out the most. I will say with Misa, there were again some moments where Esther had gotten in behind. It was a little scary, and Misa's off her line instantly, and she either clears the ball or, or collects possession inside her box, and she was good there. And I don't think she was at fault for for the two goals. So yeah, I don't know. think she had much of a chance on either of them, to be honest. Let's end this with uh, a little bit of a rant because that's what we like to do. Why was a Real Madrid TV stream absolute garbage? <laughs> I. Do it's usually not great, but today I was like, "What is go?" Well, first of all, I started on Twitch because tw- the Twitch stream is always a little ahead. But then the game was not on Twitch, and so I go to Real Madrid TV, and it's like I put my contacts in right. What the heck is going on here? It was it was a- almost hard to read numbers at points on the back of jerseys. I have no idea if I I don't I don't I don't know I don't know <laughs> I don't know what was going on. It was like 360 pixels. I felt like I was back in like the 2009 YouTube days, like 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 watching videos like that. It was I thought I was I don't know I thought I was like high or something, man. Like I was like, what is this? Like it can't have been this bad. Like maybe I just don't remember how bad it's been because I've been hanging out on the Twitch streams previously and. I mean, people told me it was it was terrible. It, it it was, as you said, hard to identify numbers. It was distracting. It made it difficult for me to kind of analyze the formations because it was just such a bad watch. And I tried to go to Twitch, and as you said, the game wasn't there. And if you go to it now, though, you'll see that it has the entire game from the 36th minute onwards. So at some point, someone realized that they were, in fact, not broadcasting the game on Twitch and then started it at 36 minutes. So just... An absolutely fantastic job from the Real Madrid crew, as usual. Maybe our biggest game of the season, third versus second place, right? Huge for the Champions League spots. 
and the TV coverage is an absolute fucking disaster. So props Bro, to the team. But don't don't worry though. <laughs> On Real Madrid TV, you can get all the basketball updates that you want. <laughs> like two minute updates during every part of the game. It doesn't matter if we're going down the pitch for our last <laughs> attack of the game. Guess what? The basketball team beat Real Betis. Yeah, so there's there was a Teledeporte stream as well, but that's always hit or miss for me because their website sucks. And like with the VPN, it might or may or may not load. It wasn't for me, but there's this, I think Daniel Footfem, I think is the name of the Twitch channel who will stream like from Teledeporte or Real Madrid TV. And I just ended up watching like the rest of the second half on his stream. And it's a little glitchy, right? Cause he's streaming a stream, but the Teledeporte quality was better. So yeah, I mean, that's just what I did for the rest of the half. And then I used his Twitch stream to review the game. This is just, you know, Spanish foot femme things. It's just foot femme things in general. Like the lengths we have to go to to be able to like watch a fucking game. Uh, cycling through three different streams or four different streams, I guess. I will say at least there are streams because in the past there haven't been. So yeah, we're, we're making we're full- improvements. <laughs> Obviously, it's not anything to settle for. We need to continue to demand better make sure that everyone knows that there's a market in there, that there's money in there and continue to demand better. But because there have been improvements, but I mean, obviously it's nowhere near where it needs to be. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have much hope that Real Madrid are going to handle this better. They've had a long time and it's not been very good. And I just like, honestly waiting for a proper TV deal to be signed. So like actual professionals who care about presenting a product are able to actually do it because it's been too many times now. Was it the Atleti game where they, they did the Vinicius press conference in the middle? You know, another huge game where like the it's blurry as shit. The Twitch stream isn't even on for the first 36 minutes. Like it's inexcusable. And I guess this is just how it's going to be until the, the rights change hands. That is our rant. I had to get that off my chest because it was, it was too much. The, 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 the Twitch one especially was too much. Is there anything else we have to say? Any more rants? Do you want to um, just look forward to the to the next few games? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so our next game is this coming weekend against Deportivo Abanca or La Coruña. It is away from home. Then we have another one away from home April 4th, and that's against Logroño. And then I think there's a little bit of an international break. Then we're back April 18th hosting Real Betis. Then April 25th, another big one, another one where all the eyes are going to be on us. Away to Madrid CFF. So, I mean, that's that's the one we're looking to right now because Madrid CFF is in a good run of form and they're they're nipping at our heels and we got to we if we're hoping to keep this third to second place finish, we're going to have to knock them down a peg. Right. And beforehand, I think about as easy as a schedule as you can get playing three of the four teams at the bottom of the table, Legroño in 15th, Deportivo on 17th, Real Betis in 18th, who have had an insanely disappointing season that I don't think people expected them to be in this position, but they have been quite bad. So we should expect nine points to set us up for the clash against Madrid CFF. And remember, they have a game in hand if they win and become equal with games on us, they will be a point ahead of us. So that is a must win, right? We had to win one of Atleti Levante. We won 
the Atleti game, this Madrid CFF game, we have to win the other Madrid derby and put essentially fate back in our own hands. And then we'll just see how everything else goes with the rest of the season. Grant, thank you for talking over this one with me. I know it wasn't particularly easy. This was a brutal defeat. We had a lot of things to criticize, but at the same time, I think we kept a kind of balanced look at the game and, you know, just kind of discuss what we need to do to move forward. So, yeah, this will be it until the next game. Again, Grant, thanks for joining me in Ala Madrid. Thank you, Ala Madrid.